Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 80 for the week of August 20th. Alex, that was some Aretha Franklin for you. It, it's a sad week, Rob. It is a sad week. Um, you know, we are not a national show, so I had to find a little bit of tie-in. Why would we want to talk about Aretha, who who obviously passed? Was it was it Wednesday she passed? Thursday she passed? It was, yeah, I don't remember. The, during this week. During the last few days, she passed away. Um, so I got a story for you. Okay. <clears throat> Back in 1968, Aretha Franklin was was scheduled to come play at Red Rocks Amphitheater, and back back in 1968, uh, it cost about six dollars to get a ticket. Um, Wish and, it still cost six dollars today, uh, Rob. Absolutely. Uh, so exactly 50 years ago, she was scheduled to play there. She she shows up, and her promoter had had made some mistakes um, in in the finances and didn't have her twenty thousand dollar prepayment ready to give her. So she got in front of the stage and she said, "I'm not playing." Because uh, I didn't get paid, and uh, and there was a riot at, at Red Rocks. They they destroyed a, a grand piano. They set a bunch of stuff on fire. And Aretha Franklin, she she took her 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 car back to the uh, I think it was the the Hilton back in Denver, and and she did a couple interviews and you know said hey I, I got to get paid before I sing. That hey that sounds reasonable to me. You know uh, I was glad that when I showed up today you had my check because otherwise I would not be on this podcast. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So there was a little conversation at the most recent. Oh shoot, what was it? I'm, I should have been prepped for this, but at, at one of the most recent uh, performances she did just last year, um, she she set her purse down on the piano before she started, and it, and apparently it was symbolic of um, back in the you know in the pre civil rights era where uh, black performers would would always need to try and get paid ahead of time in order to be treated fairly, and, and I think she's trying to be an example of you know hey. We're still here and, and, and really trying to, to get her message across loud and clear. Yeah. Anyway, so interesting story. It, very sad. She's an amazing singer. I really enjoyed it. All right. Uh, we do have some housekeeping. Go ahead. Sure. So uh, we have a Slack channel in case you haven't heard of that before. Great conversations going on in there. How do you join the Slack channel? You know, it's very easy to join the Slack channel. Yeah. You can go to our website, colorado-security.com. And there's a button there that you can click, and it'll give you all the details. Yeah, and it's also in our in our um, show notes that we'll be mailing out. Uh, also, we have a mailing list. Again, if you go to the website, sign up for our mailing list, you will get the show notes emailed to you every week, so you can hear about all of the wonderful stuff that is in the podcast each week. Uh, we'd, lo- we'd love it if you would subscribe on your favorite uh, podcast listener. If you're using an iPhone, go to the podcast app or whatever you use and Google Play. And of course, rate us wherever you can. Uh, you know, Go out and give us five stars and hopefully get new listeners to join us. Also, if you would like to give more support to the podcast, we do have a Patreon campaign going. So this is where you can subscribe to uh, to give us money to help support the show. That, of course, goes directly into the show itself, not into Rob or my pockets, uh, buying equipment, hosting fees, things like that. And we would like to thank Daniel Clements. Uh, Daniel is actually an intern for me this summer. 
Um, and he must be very close to getting a real job because he has enough money to afford to support the podcast. Awesome. Daniel, thank you very much for your support and congratulations on your real job. It's awesome. All right. Should we jump into the news? We should. All right. So uh, Colorado is rated the eighth best place to open a business. Uh, at, these are out of states here in the U.S. Eight. How can we only be eight, Rob? This is crazy. Well, there's a bunch of powerhouse states above us on the list. Yeah. Uh, places like Nebraska, South Dakota. Iowa, all great places. At least right? North Dakota is not ahead of us on the list. Oh wait, no, they're, they're oh they too. are. North Dakota is uh, is number six. So we don't have a ton of respect for this particular list. Uh, but the the criteria it uses is um, what's the cost of starting a business? What are the taxes? The labor market, cost of living, startup activity, access to capital, um, and quality of life. The, these things, such small percentages across the board, it's it's really hard to get a good. Uh, yeah, answer here. About half of fifty percent of the criteria is based on how cheap it is to do business in the state, and so you know you get places like uh, Iowa and Nebraska and the Dakotas where it is cheaper to operate. So they, Wyoming, yeah, yeah, Wyoming. There, but you know what? I don't list. see ahead of us on the list. I don't. I don't see Austin. So suck yeah. it, Austin. <laughs> exactly, suck it. Uh, next, a great announcement from this week. Uh, VF Corp announced that they are moving their headquarters to Denver. This is actually a really big deal. Yeah, this might be the the, the story we spend the most time on today. Um, v, VF Corp, I had never heard of them before, but they own a ton of brands that we do know. Um, so North Face, Jansport, Eagle Creek, uh, I don't know, Ultra. Um, they also own um, Dickies and Timberland and Vans. Uh, they also mm-hmm. currently own Wrangler and Lee. They have a lot of brands underneath them. Yeah, and even some brands that I didn't notice or that I don't know. Uh, but yes, lots of them. They're a very big company, uh, multi-billion dollars in revenue. There will be one of, if not the highest um, uh, companies in terms of market cap when they get here. They will be the number one market cap company. Yeah. They won't be the number one revenues company exactly. is, is, what, is what it looks like. Um, so previously they, they own so many different brands. They've never really consolidated all the executive leadership from their brands. And this is their new intention. They're, they're moving their headquarters, which was in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina to Denver. And then they're going to consolidate all their different headquarters into one place here in Denver. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be a big force here in town. Um, the, we have given them a, a very significant tax incentive to come here, which is about $27 million. Uh, I think the second largest that's ever been given. However, very cool, VF Corp has made it clear that uh, the incentives aren't the reason they're coming. And in fact, they vowed to match every tax dollar that they receive with a donation, which is going to go directly back into supporting local charities here in Denver. That is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, they also said by 2025, they will have 1,200 jobs here. So of the 70,000 employees that they have, that's a pretty good percentage. So we mentioned that they're going to be the largest market cap at, at about uh, $36 billion in market cap. And the current largest here in Colorado is Newmont Mining, which is about $19 billion. So really twice as big as the number two largest market cap. Uh, it looks like second largest now is Dish at about $16 billion. That is awesome. So uh, we so, welcome. So them. one trivia for you, Alec. What does VF Corp stand for? Very fine. Corporate. Vanity Fair. It was Vanity Fair oh. clothing, actually Vanity Fair lingerie, which is had nothing to do with the magazine. But a, a few decades ago, they changed their name, and and now they're just they're just like basically a private equity who yeah, only owns buying everybody clothing. up. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool stuff. That is pretty cool. Uh, next, Honey signs a lease on the Boulder Street, uh, Boulder Boulder Street Pearl Street Mall. Uh, so Honey, which is a Los Angeles based tech company. They have a browser extension that helps you 
uh, save money on websites has signed for some space on the Pearl Street Mall. So kind of going back to our, our point that we are the eighth place, eighth best place to have a business. Well, here's the third example of that. Um, we have uh, Gusto, who's who's had an office here in Denver for a while. They're, but their Denver office has actually grown bigger than their San Francisco headquarters, and they expect to grow um, another 100 folks or so here in Denver. And it's going to be um, their largest going forward as well. Um, so they were formerly known as Zen Payroll. They do online HR and, and payroll for, for small companies. Um, and they're, they basically have, uh, have invested as Denver is the place where they want to have most of their workforce. Yeah. You don't see them, uh, consolidating on North Dakota or, uh, uh, or Iowa. So, you know, I guess number eight is a good place to be. And I did find a job for our do- job section from Gusto. Oh, nice. Um, so we'll talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. Cool. Uh, next there was an article, uh, in biz West interviewing some CEOs from Northern Colorado companies and they said that talent and security breaches uh, weigh heavily on them. So a lot of conversation about how it's hard to find talent. But then the other half of this article is all about how the CEOs are worried about the security of their organization. Yeah, they mentioned how you know many small and medium-sized businesses, if they have a security breach, uh, can risk going out of business. That was a concern for them. Uh, you know, Other general things like uh, phishing or email security, talking about how... Uh, they and their companies do uh, phishing email scenarios, other things like that to try and help maintain their security. Yeah, there's a, there's a quote in the article that, you know, the, a cyber breach of, of any significance can definitely mean shuttering of the doors of the business. Um, and these CEOs are well aware of it. Um, it's interesting, you know, Alex, you and I were at a, a CISO event on Friday where the FBI presented the stat that 60% of small businesses that, it, that are hit by a breach end up going out of business. And I haven't seen this, these examples, and, I, and it sounds like you know these guys are, are well aware of that at least. Yeah, it would be great. Well, not great for that company, but it would be good to have a hard example. People keep saying it. Uh, having those examples of the companies that have gone out of business to hear their stories uh, would be interesting. Yeah, agreed. Um, so there's a there's a story in here really all about how cybersecurity is booming in the springs. Um, so there's a recent study that says cybersecurity brings in nearly $1 billion of annual benefit to the local economy. Um, and th- this, is, uh, this is just to the springs, right? So if you, if you guys are interested, there's a, a TV clip in the, in the link. You can watch a story about this. You don't have to just read it. Um, but they also mentioned the stat that there's supposed to be about 1.5 million jobs across the U.S. just uh, that are going to be open, unfillable in the next few years based on cybersecurity. And they also mentioned how it is lucrative to be in cybersecurity in that the average cybersecurity worker in Colorado Springs uh, earns about $104,000 annually. So that'd be great if I was making that coming to money. Yeah, absolutely. One of these days. Uh, there are a, So we have the Inc. 5000 list, Alex. This has finally come out. We've been anxiously awaiting this for, for months, right? You know, I'm, I mark this day on my calendar every year yeah. so I can go and check out the new Inc. 5000 list. So Inc. Inc. 5000 is the, the fastest growing companies across America. Um, and there are 136 Colorado businesses that made the list this year. Companies like Pop Sockets, which is based in Boulder. You know, those silly little things you can stick on the back of your phone to hold it. Those silly little things have made $169 million in revenue in the last year. Wow. Yeah. Uh, also, Velocity Global, Mindful Health, PAX 8, and Adcelerant were uh, high up on that list. They were all in the top 100. Uh, there were a couple security companies that were on that list as well. Uh, Direct Defense, who we've talked about before, they grew 395%, and they were at uh, 1,224. 
and IntelliSecure grew 185%, and they were at 2,659. And these are three-year percentages of growth, I think. So it, over the last three years, they grew by those percentages. Anyway, congrats to those two companies for their, their steady increases. Exactly. Uh, also, we had some awards nomination or uh, announcements this week. Uh, the Denver Business Journal revealed their 2018 C-Suite Awards. And so this is basically... Um, Awards for executives uh, for Denver area businesses. And there was someone on this list that was honored that we know. Um, hmm. Huh. I wonder who that was. I, I believe it was Rob Reck. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on, I'm on the list. So we don't know how that's all going to shake out yet. It's uh, the, I think the results actually come out on the, the 25th of September. Yeah. So this is listing all of the honorees. They have not made the final announcements of who wins which awards yet. We'll see if I can grease the right palms to, to make it happen. Well, I think this is a start, right? We're you know giving yeah. them some positive press. I'm, I'm sure that'll help. There you go. Uh, next story, <clears throat> we have a, a story by Logarithm about measuring and, and optimizing your SOC performance with new Logarithm tools. Alex, you're a, a Logarithm customer. Any any insight of these two, new tools, the, the shiz? Yeah, so Logarithm has been doing uh, some good stuff in tracking uh, metrics for security operations. And this is sort of adding to those dashboards and views of that. Uh, you know, how fast are you getting to your uh, your investigations and your incidents? You know, mean time to closure, other things like that. Uh, also some sort of more operational uh, metrics and dashboards. Anyway, it's, it's some good stuff that they put out. Have you used the, these new tools to fire anyone yet? <laughs> I, have not, <laughs> I have not used them to fire anyone yet. Well, I'm pretty soon. sure you're, you're missing the boat then. Very soon. Um, all right, next story is actually a blog by Ping, and uh, I, I can take this one a little bit. Um, really what they're doing is is showing how customer identity solutions can help meet the requirements of GDPR. So obviously we know GDPR requires uh, or gives our gives consumers the right to erasure so you can erase your data from a system, you have to consent to things, um, you have to be able to uh, take your data with you, it has to be secured appropriately. So how does, how does SIAM, Customer Identity Access Management, do this? Well, through having unified customer profiles, so there's one place that they go to to give their consent, to say what they consent to, to see what what data there is. Um, there's easy consent capture and then auditability of that consent capture that you get through those types of systems. Self service for all these things versus having to to send a help desk ticket or, or contact support to get this stuff. There's some other things in the in the blog post as well, but really having this, you know this one place where you can do all of that interaction really addresses most of the concerns. Sounds pretty cool. Uh, Palo, or excuse me, uh, Coal Fire had a blog post this week about the dangers of client probing on Palo Alto firewalls. This was actually uh, an interesting blog post. Yeah, I read the whole thing. I, I don't I don't frequently read a whole thing, but this was interesting. Yeah, so talking about how, uh, you know, Palo Alto, one of their sort of claims to fame is they, they have policies that follow the users, so they have to know, you know, who's on what con uh, computer and other things like that. And this is probing unknown devices to know who is on those devices and some potential vulnerabilities that lie in that probing. So basically, you have the you have an account that the the Palo Alto firewall has on it, and that account should have some kind of rights on the local host, right? So what they're trying to do is they're sending they're, they're sending the, these credentials out to the out to the host to, to to log in and say, let me see who who's logged in on that system. Now, if you have an unknown host that you send these credentials to, that unknown host can capture the username and password, and now they have an account that has access, some level of access to every other agent on the network, right? Yep. So it's a it's a pretty compelling thing. And, and as you go through this blog post, um, they describe that Palo Alto 
I don't think Palo Alto is really the one missing the boat here. They they make it pretty clear what the risk is of doing this and and how how you should do it right. Um, but if you implement this the wrong way, it's a pretty massive risk and, and really makes it easy for someone to get access across your whole organization. Yeah, it was a very good blog post. I would recommend reading that one. Esteban Rodriguez from Coal Fire, thank you for writing this up. Good stuff. Uh, next, uh, Swimlane had a blog about uh, farewell to their summer interns. So they uh, Swimlane participated in a, a CU program to have some summer interns, and it sounded like they all had a good time, I think. You know, while it was an interesting article, I think Rob also wanted to use this, uh, and I want to use this as an opportunity for us to say thanks to our interns that we've had this summer. Yeah. Uh, so I want to say thanks to to Daniel and Kim who were great this summer for us. Yeah, and, and Nicholas Connick. Nick, good job working with Ping this summer, and uh, good good luck at school this next year as well. Uh, and of course, we did learn a little bit about Cody Cornell, who is our feature interview this week. And that Cody, you know, if you read this this blog post, Cody loves peanut M and M's. And in fact, it sounds like he might be addicted to peanut M and M's. Yeah. So you know, I'm sure if you want to get a job at Swim Lane, all you have to do is you know send a truckload of peanut M and M's. Absolutely. Uh, our final story this week uh, is a blog post from ThreadX, and it's a it's actually an interview with their CTO and co-founder Andrew. I think it's Usekas. Um, Andrew is one of the, really the technical guy behind that product and goes through what they do. We're going to have him on our show pretty soon, so I'm not going to go too much into detail on it. I don't, I don't want to bury the lead when we do get there, but uh, hopefully it's going to be interesting. Yeah, should be good. All right, now to move into the Slack message of the week. Uh, thanks once again to Andre Gaeta, who is our, our sponsor for the Slack message of the week. Andre, we appreciate you uh, keeping this going for us. So this week we have a, a slightly different Slack message of the week that we're going to uh, honor. Usually it's a single person that we recognize, but this week we had a, a large discussion about lock picking, which result, excuse me, which resulted in us um, eventually creating a lock picking channel specifically. And that uh, group is going to get together um, in the not too distant future to, to do some lock picking in person. So we're just going to donate some Colorado equal security swag to that uh, meetup so that they can, uh, Give away however they see it fit as part of that discussion. Sounds good. All right. Uh, moving over to our events coming up in the next couple of weeks. As a reminder, on our website, colorado-security.com, we have a calendar of events, stuff going out to the end of the year or so. Um, and we have a lot of stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, first, Alex, do you want to mention our Ballard Spar summit we got coming up? I don't remember the dates of that exactly. Yeah, so we are working in conjunction with uh, Ballard Spar to put together the Colorado Cybersecurity Summit. Uh, this will be the second year that they're doing that. And this is a, a legal-focused cybersecurity event that is happening on the 18th of September. Uh, so that is a, a half day in the morning. And uh, we will be a part of that. So we would love to see all of you there. Awesome. Uh, looking ahead to this next week, on the 21st, ISSA Denver has the Women in Security meeting coming. It's going to be great, um, as, all, as they have been every other time. I think if, you, if you're a woman or you're someone who's interested in helping support women have a bigger role in security, please show up and, and help, help the organization. On the 22nd, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their Cybersecurity Training and Technology Forum. This is their big conference of the year down in the Springs, so go check that out. Good chance to get a lot of CPEs. Uh, also on the 22nd, SecureSet has one of their career conversations with Scott Bowman and Alex Reed. Uh, on the 23rd, ISSA Denver is having a happy hour. On the 27th, 
the Denver Splunk group is having a meetup. So this is a new thing we haven't talked about before, but um, it is open for anyone and it's free. Um, so if you're interested in getting to know more about Splunk, especially how can you how you use it for security, this group would be a, a good place for you to go. On the 28th, the GDPR meetup group is having an event, uh, the single subject search, the missing link to GDPR individual rights compliance. And finally, on the 31st of August, SecureSet has one of their Capture the Flag events. So this is uh, similar to what they usually do from five to six. If you show up early there from five to six, they'll give you kind of a tutorial on how to do a Capture the Flag. And then at six o'clock, they'll, they'll dive right in and you can participate. Whether you're experienced or inexperienced, you'll, now, you'll know how to do it. Awesome. Let's move over to jobs. Uh, first job this week, Forge Rock is looking for a product, product management director for IoT. Uh, Logarithm is hiring a manager of security operations. And this is uh, because Greg Foss has moved into a new role over there. Congratulations to Greg with his new research role. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. And of course, it opens up a brand new fun position for someone else. Exactly. Uh, Slack actually has a couple jobs. They are looking for a senior security detection and response engineer and also a senior product security engineer. NBC Universal is hiring a senior product security tech lead. Red Robin is looking for a senior security engineer. Splunk is hiring a technology advocate. Um, this is interesting. It, it's going to be working on collaborative incident management, um, working with developer relations, and it's part of their DevOps and VictorOps uh, business unit. Uh, UDI is looking for a security analyst. Zantara is hiring an IT security analyst. And as Rob uh, buried the lead earlier, uh, Gusto is looking for a risk operations person. So risk operations here is is actually a little different. It's not necessarily security. It's really more fraud. As we mentioned, they are a payroll organization. So it's looking for payroll fraud and, and internal fraud. Frog protection? Frog protection, yes. Yeah, I, I think we're on the same page. Keep, keep the frogs out of there. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Uh, I think that's it for, for our news. We have a feature interview here with Cody Cornell. This is part due. Cody, we talked to a little bit over a year and a year ago, I think actually a year and a few months ago. Um, they've had a lot of growth at uh, Swim Lane in the last year, and, and he's excited to tell us all about it. And of course, the biggest part of the interview is about peanut M&Ms, right? Um, I, I don't want to give it away, Alex. <laughs> okay. You're going to have to listen to find that out. All right. All right. Well, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Rob. Hi, this is Mary Haynes, VP of Network Security at Charter Communications. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. This is the Colorado Equals Security podcast, and today I am revisiting a meeting we had last year with Cody Cornell. Cody, you are a co-founder and you're the CEO at Swimlane um, up in Louisville. So it's been... It's been over a year, I think we said it's been about 15, maybe even 16 months since we last talked. Uh, so what's been going on? What is, what's changed for you guys in the last year? Um, I mean, I think the things that really kind of stand out for us is that our team has expanded dramatically in the yeah. last, you know, you know, 16 months or however many months it's been. And uh, I think the the market which we're in, the, the security automa automation and orchestration space is, uh, it's getting garnering a lot of attention. Uh, so, you know, both of those things going together is, you know, made for pretty uh, exciting times at Swimline. And, yeah. you know, we're kind of enjoying the ride and, you know, enjoying expanding the team and, you know, bringing on customers and all the stuff that goes along with that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a fun ride for the last year or so. So I think it, it would make sense to start over for those who didn't listen, you know, last year. Obviously, go back and listen. But um, why don't you take, you know, two or three minutes to just talk about what does Swimlane do? 
Yeah, so uh, Swimlane falls into the security, orchestration, automation, and response category, which is basically uh, our goal is to automate the work that security ops teams do on a daily basis. So anything from alarm enrichment to phishing response to uh, vulnerability management all require a lot of kind of repetitive tasks for those security teams. Um, there's been a lot of innovation in the threat monitoring and threat detection space, uh, but very little innovation around kind of the people, uh, which you know has historically been a bottleneck for a lot of organizations. Uh, too many alarms, not enough people is kind of a common theme you'll see at any trade show. And you know we're really hoping that uh, building an automation capability that enables those analysts to do more, uh, more efficiently, more consistently, uh, will help you know organizations you know provide better security services either if they're a service provider or internally into their organization. Yeah. So right right before we recorded, I had a chance to see a demo of your product and uh, get a better understanding of what you guys do. It seems to me like a lot of what you do is has an overlap with with the traditional SIM market, what a, what a SIM product would do. Um, the, you know, obviously you, you guys are not doing, I don't, I don't believe you're doing like a central log repository aspect, right? That's not part of what you do? Correct. Yeah. So, but you, but you do have quite a bit of, um, you can, you can help with enrichment of information and you help with some of security analytics as well as you'll help automate some of the security analytics stuff. How do you see your technology, um, coexisting with, augmenting, taking the place of a traditional SIM product? Yeah, so I really see what we do as complementary to SIM. I mean, to your uh, point, you know, we're, we're not a log aggregation source, we're not a yeah. log management system. Uh, we're not doing correlation of you know alerts and logs as it's kind of our core competency it's you know when you have that point in which an analyst needs to take over where mediation needs to happen that's really where swimline picks up i mean you know traditionally that might be something like a sim case management system uh, it might be you know you're sending your alarms into a ticketing system uh, but then you're really managing them by hand there's a lot of copy and paste that happens there so we really see what we're doing is complementary to that so yeah we're, we're taking in those alarms uh, be them a high fidelity alarm from you know something like endpoint or network or proxy or whatever it might be, or you know, we are receiving those from the SIM. And you know, we're, we're taking all the steps that you hope that your analyst team would do. So you know, setting a severity score, enriching it from all the available sources, both internally or externally. Um, and then you know, from that, making decisions. You know, does this require a notification? Um, you know, is this something that we can, you know, a, a workstation we can automatically quarantine? Um, is this a revenue generating you know, e-commerce server that we need to notify the application owner on that you can take offline? So there's different degrees of remediation that you see people taking, but the goal here is that you know, as organizations go from hundreds to thousands to tens of thousands of alarms or tasks they have to do in a given day, you know, that, that becomes overwhelming and you know, really kind of untenable for, for organizations to actually manage on a daily basis. Hmm. You're, the UI of your system seemed kind of reminiscent of what I would see from a SIM. Yep. The, the, um, you know, the, the dashboards, it'll show alerting coming from different systems. How do you guys see, you know, in, in a SOC that has you know, adopted Swimlane as, as the automation orchestration for your, your, their workflow, how do you see them you know, using your guys' tools versus their ticketing system versus their SIM in terms of what's up on the screen most of the time? How do they, how do they move between them? Yeah, so I mean, within uh, Swimlane, we have a case management capability. Um, we have reporting and dashboarding, and obviously all the, the workflow and automation that goes along with that. I think you know the some of the difference you'd see in a dashboard from something like Swimlane is you know if you think about the metrics that you're trying to gather from uh, your security team, you have 
you know, your mean time to respond or dwell times or, you know, things along those lines. Um, that really is measured after the sim has generated an alarm. So, you know, what's the time it takes to go from the point where you got the alarm, did the enrichment, uh, identified your remediation, take the remediation. Um, that, that really doesn't generally live inside of the sim. Uh, that is usually in a ticketing system or some other, other system. Mm -hmm. So we're consolidating all that. So that, that's a little bit different. Um, you know, so th th there's that component that I think is a little bit different from, from some of the metrics you might get out of a sim. Yeah. Do you have any favorite examples of a, of a task that you've seen a customer automate and has just reduced you know, a massive amount of time that they may not have seen coming? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times, you know, the, the ones that are most obvious are, you know, phishing or, you know, alarm triage or vulnerability scan ass, uh, assignments to system owners application. So walk through those. What do yeah. you mean phishing? Yeah, so, I mean, if you think about, you know, an organization where, you know, maybe you have a, a little button in the top of your Outlook client that forwards your uh, phishing emails to a, a mailbox that your SOC monitors, right? So if you're a security analyst, you know, your job for that is to determine if that's a malicious, you know, phishing email or if that's benign, right? So how do I do that? I'm going to pull all the email headers out. I'm going to look at any domains, URLs, IP addresses that are in that message. Who is the sender? Who is the recipient? Was there an attachment? And you know that's just kind of parsing all the, normalizing all the data out. And then I have to take that information and, and do an investigation on it. So you know, was the infrastructure come from from the mail headers you know known to be malicious? Was the attachment uh, you know malicious? Did I sandbox it? And you know what happened? Um, are any of the IP addresses or links inside of that phishing email known to be you know used you know for nefarious activity? So right. all that process you know that'll take 10, 15 minutes per email. You know depending on the size of the organization and you know the the because the consistency or the quality of the filtering that's happening at the mail gateway and things like that, you know, you're going to get a lot of those in a given day. And you no, know, that's just one thing that kind of soaks up time. I mean, I think one of the use cases I think is more interesting that is, is a lot more fun is, you know, we talked about before we got on was, you know, credential dump sites or credential compromise sites. So, you know, if it's Pastebin or GitHub or wherever someone might be posting, you know, uh, compromised credentials, or maybe you subscribe to a service, but not everybody does, you want to know, you know, do we have user accounts that have been compromised? No. So to monitor that, you know, manually is a very time-consuming task. Uh, there's lots of opportunities for you to be in a situation where uh, you you missed one or it went through or it happened at night and, and things like that. So if you can see so that, let's talk about what with the manual. I can I can definitely imagine the manual process for phishing emails. What's right. the manual process here for credential? checking on those sites. Right. So, I mean, you know, someone, you know, at any moment, at any day could post a, a list of five or 5,000 different accounts that have been potentially compromised from a, from a website or from any other source. Like on Pastebin or like something. Our like our Pastebin, yeah. yeah. Pastebin is a, probably the classic example. Sure. Uh, at that point, I'm, you know, if I'm a security analyst, I'm going to, you know, I could scroll through that looking for not only the domain that, you know, we all use, but if we have any subdomains or alternative domains, any of the third-party vendors that have access to our environment, you know, are, is there a valid domain mm -hmm. and you know is there a password associated with that so that credentials compromised for internal stuff you know the first thing I want to do is you know test that credential is that a valid credential in Active Directory or wherever else Salesforce Dropbox whatever it might be and if it is you know that at that point you have exposure right so you know you want to disable that user account you have to notify that user you have to reset their password you have to notify them of the password reset so you know again especially if you have you know more than one credential that was compromised, that becomes a really burdensome response, and the speed at which you respond really affects, you know, your exposure, your dwell time, the time that you know someone has to leverage those credentials. And on the flip side, you know, the, the ability to remediate impacts the user's ability to do their job. You know, yeah. so can they service the business? 
So the, in the manual world, we're, we're doing manual searches of paste bin to, for may, maybe for our domain, mm -hmm. right? Um, and if we if we get a hit, then we're going to take the credentials and try and log in to the system, maybe into I don't know, wh whatever system you use for authentication, yep. right? Um, and if it if it's positive, yes, it works. Then I'm going to uh, maybe disable an account in AD, or I'm going to make a ch password change, right? Whatever that process right. is, and yep. it, so that's in the manual world. In the automated world, how how do you handle it? Yeah, so I mean, the, the nice thing is, you know, Pastebin has an API, so we can watch for those those pastes every time they come in. Swimlane will ingest that, um, you know, using you know, Swimlane so will. Is that a push from Pastebin? They'll push it. To we'll you pull or? it, so we pull so that you, API on some regular basis. You're some pulling interval, the API yeah. to see it. Exactly. Okay. Bringing that in, then you're going to parse through the the results, and you know, you're looking for strings that match, you know, again those domains that you might use or might be familiar with, yeah. and then if you get matches, then you know, you kind of have a different step in that workflow process, which is all right, take the ones the strings that matched and let's test them against our you know AD infrastructure to see if they're valid or not. Yeah. Even if they're even if they don't work, you probably want to let that user know that this username and password combination has been compromised because even if it's not compromised within your Active Directory environment, they might be reusing that somewhere else. I mean right. box or whatever else it might be. Yeah, nice to know. So so then the automation would not only do the, the pulling of the API, it would also automatically do the testing and would it also automatically do some kind of outreach to the users? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's not uncommon for us to, you know, connect to Active Directory, disable the user account. Um, obviously, at that point, they can't get an email because it's they can hard to communicate with someone after. Yeah, exactly. Email. So, and then, you know, you might hit like a Twilio or something like that and send them an SMS message, let, notifying mm -hmm. them that they they received that. Obviously, you want to make sure that people know that that's the process because they start getting random SMS messages right. from you saying you your password's been reset. Yeah. They should be wary of that. But, you know, the, if that's the security awareness training that's happening on a regular basis, they know that, that that's the process. Yeah. So. So I think that's great. I think we've, we've kind of sufficiently covered roughly what you guys do, right? right. So I'd love to hear a, a little bit more about um, business over the last year or so. Uh, one of the big things that, I, the big piece of news in the last year from, the, from your orchestration automation world is uh, Phantom being acquired by Splunk, yep. right? Talk to me about how, how, what does that do for your space? Good news, bad news, you know, where, where, where do you come down on all that? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think it's it's great. I mean, and, you know, it's validating of the space. I mean, obviously, Splunk is a very common, you know, machine log collection technology and SIM uh, inside of a lot of customers that we have, a lot of prospects that we work with. Uh, they continue to be a great partner of ours. We're part of their adaptive response framework, uh, and they're a very common integration for us to this day. I mean, obviously, they have a product in their portfolio. Um, they're a large organization. They have a lot of reach. Yeah. Um, the nice part is, you know, them doing that has... Uh, got the attention of a lot of people, uh, their competitors and their partners alike, yeah. uh, and they're they're looking for options, right? They they obviously, if Splunk has invested the amount of money they did in that type of technology, there's value there, and they're trying to figure out how they become part of that, right? And yeah. part of that story that they they're building, right? What's that they've built with Splunk Base and the, and their acquisition is, you know, it's it's community, it's collaboration, it's integration, and you know, I think a lot of organizations don't have that story, and a platform like Swimline provides that that. You know, if you have a, a portfolio of products, we can help with integrating your portfolio of products. Or if you're trying to demonstrate to your customers that you're willing to work with other best of breed and point solutions, that we can help bridge that gap. So um, I think you know the, the great majority of the market is out in front of us right now, and um, you know we're excited about you know what that means for for the space in general. Yeah, and, and when you go, you know, if you put together your 
your typical customers? Are, are you talking SMB, large enterprises, government organizations? Where, where do you mostly try and, and, and sell? Yeah, so I mean, I think, you know, what's typical for most emerging security technologies is, you know, the, the people that have more discretionary budget that are buying kind of newer technologies or, you know, people that have higher regulatory compliance or just larger budgets. So, you know, for us right now, the large majority of our customers are financial services, uh, federal government, pharmaceutical, high tech. Um, but you know, we do have customers that have two security analysts, yeah. you know, and they, they I think they actually probably get more value than an organization that has 100 security analysts, which we have as well. So. If you kind of look at how those organizations evaluate the kind of the return on investment in, in a platform like Swimlane, it's if I have a hundred analysts, I'm trying to get you know a 50% reduction in level of effort, uh, so that I can keep my staff stabilized and continue to bring on more and more capacity and do more and more as a security team. Where if you're a two-person security team, you're worried about all the things you're not getting to, and automation yeah. it becomes the mechanism to actually get to them. Yeah, I'm trying to think about you know if you. To your point, when you have the big scaled enterprises, they're going to be focused on things they're already doing and trying to do them more efficiently, um, and, and you know being able to scale better. When you look at the small organizations, you're pro they're probably going to be trying to look at things that they don't currently do, right? So, do you have any examples of things that they don't currently do? Obviously, phishing email is one that that they're probably already doing. Um, the, the search for credentials on the web, that might be yeah. something they're not currently doing. What, right. Any other examples of stuff that people are not doing that they can add on? Yeah, I mean, I think about you know reviewing SIM logs for the source of VPN connections. You mm -hmm. know, are those coming from a geolocation that they should be, right? I mean, that's, you could maybe create a SIM alarm for that, but if, if not, then how are you identifying, should that VPN connection be coming from Dallas or from Dubai, right? You, you, and if it should be coming from Dallas and it's coming from Dubai, you have a problem, right? So how would your automation, I mean, off the top of my head, I don't have an answer, or how do I know where it's coming from? Right. How would you do that? Yeah, so I mean, you think about it as, you know, you're gonna have a source of that VPN connection, it's gonna have an IP address, which you can do a lookup in something like MaxMind, which will give you a, a geographic region. Um, you might have just a general policy where we don't have people in that region, yeah. or you might have to do a lookup to some type of travel database or something along mm -hmm. those lines to say, is this person in that region? And if they are, then maybe it's okay. If they're not, yeah. then, you know, again, if they're in, in Dallas, then that's a problem. Yeah. So, you know, that's, you know, for organizations that are, do a lot of a lot of travel, that, that's an, an interesting problem for them because it's, it's not always black and white that this connection from a country we don't have an HQ in, you know, is, is not supposed to happen because, mm -hmm. you know, we have a traveling salesman or we have, you know, some type of field operator or something that's going on in that environment. Yeah. So. That, that makes sense. And it's nice to be able to just try and find those use cases that say, you know, we're not taking anyone's job. We're making you more effective, and we're adding these other things so you can get that better coverage. Yeah. Um, and, and when you when you're at the hundred person sock, maybe you are taking someone's job at some point, moving them into higher value stuff, or you know they don't have to hire as many folks. Uh, I'm still uh, getting my arms around how you how you add more coverage at the at the lower end, right? Right. Um, so yeah. I, I mean, so it's kind of I mean, I think it's. It, Personally, I mean, as many vacancies as we have right now, I, yeah. I know plenty of organizations that have budget, that have open racks, that can't, can't fill those roles, yeah, right? Sure. So the, the concept of kind of displacing people, I think, is, is a misnomer. We, we've never seen it. Uh, we see people that are trying to, you know, manage service providers, trying to manage more customers with the same amount of staff, but yeah. there's never like, you know, we, we need to get rid of people. I think the other thing, and especially for me, I, you know, I spent a number of years as an analyst and working in a SOC is, you know, I didn't get into security to copy and paste data around, send mm -hmm. email notifications and create tickets. 
Like that is not very fulfilling work. Um, so being able to take that off the plate of those those teams, um, you know, I think it's a pretty big morale boost. I mean, it's, it's almost kind of an inverse proposition to say, you know, I'm trying to recruit people to work on my team, and I can tell you that if you're going to work in our sock, you're not going to have to do these 20 things because we've invested in technology to automate that away. Mm. Your kind of work life is going to be a lot better. It's going to be much more interesting. Yeah. So um, speaking of hiring, I'm going to make a little bit of a change. You know, I know you've you've grown up the team quite a bit in the last yeah. year. So so where were you a year ago, and where are you now in terms of headcount? Yeah, I was trying to do the the mental math before we started. And I don't know if I got it right. I think we're between twenty and thirty people uh, yeah. about this time. We're at sixty people now, so, so we've more than doubled. Yeah. We've more than doubled, which awesome. is great. I mean, we've expanded internationally and uh, continue to. What's interesting is I think fifty was kind of an inflection point where you hire less people that do a lot of things and more people that have very focused mm. skills, uh, which is a lot of fun. I mean, you you are able to kind of really drill in on folks that are experts at what they do. Anything from design to marketing to sales to DevOps to, you know, really good sales engineering. I mean, there's, there's a broad spectrum of skills that you need. And, you know, you know, you, you early on, you have to hire people that can kind of do all of the above. And right. as you expand, you, you, you get more specialized. And that brings a kind of an interesting dynamic into the team. So what what has the investment looked like in the last year? You know, you mentioned a bunch of departments, but, you know, of the 30 to 40 people you've added, how does it break down in terms of where you're where you're really putting your resources? Yeah, I mean, last year we made a pretty significant in investment in scaling our R&D team. I mean, we, we were in a great spot, we had a great team, but we were also looking to make sure that we were maximizing on it. So we had a couple spots that we didn't feel like we're getting as much throughput as we wanted. So, I mean, at one point that might be, you know, we're, you know, we're committing enough code, but we don't have enough QA. Or before, you know, the design, you know, engineering kicks off, the design was, you know, was we didn't have enough resources to do design. Or uh, we build a lot of integrations and build a lot of content for our customers so they can get going really easily out of the box. Yeah. Um, and you know, that team needed to expand because our customer base was expanding. And there was more expectations there. Right. So, and then obviously on the other side, we've made a, a significant investment in sales and marketing. I mean, we went from you know a handful of sales folks to you know sales, you know, nine reps throughout the U.S., people in Europe. And, and, and throughout the rest of the world. So we continue to expand our, our sales range. So what's your breakdown of U.S. versus international in terms of either headcount or sale, or however you think of it? Yeah, I mean, we're probably 90-10. Uh, from a headcount perspective, we're probably 70-30 from a customer perspective. Okay. So U.S. to international. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I, that's that's off my cuff. So. Right, just, so, yeah. just talk about it. No, I, I get it. Yeah. Um, and, and where have you been hiring? You mentioned you've hired some sales internationally, but is, there, is everything else in, in your office there, corporate office in Louisville? Or? Yeah, the great majority of our, our staff is right here in, in Colorado between Boulder and Denver and Louisville. And yeah. you know that's you know a lot of engineering hiring that's happened there. Uh, we're pretty open to hiring remote staff when it makes sense for the right people that you know kind of proven they can work remotely and, yeah. and execute well. But obviously salespeople are in the field. Um, and you know we continue to hire here locally as well for you know department heads. We just hired a head of customer success uh, and things along those lines. So you know we're, we're trying to make sure that our, our team leads have at least some ability yeah. to have some office presence. So, so you're a customer success person. I, I, is it this is for your your post sales you know customer experience? Yep. Um, do you guys have account managers for all your customers? Or how, so right work? now, the the reps continue to maintain the relationship with our our customers, the sales reps. Um, yeah. You know, so adding Jordan, who is our you know director of customer success, you know, gives them another resource. Um, we haven't fully handed everything off at this point, but you know, it, it's good for them to have kind of an objective 
non-sales third-party representation in the conversation. Yeah. If it's for a bug fix or if it's for a feature request or you know whatever it might be, um, they have an advocate now, and mm. I, I think that's something that that we, we believe in, and we want that feedback. So building that relationship, getting that real kind of real-world feedback on what's working, what's not, and how we can improve is is good. And you know, sales might not always be the best avenue for that. So. Mm. You know, I think our reps do a great job, but it's always good to give them a dedicated resource. Well, yeah, sales is all coin-driven, right? So it, it, they're they're going to be motivated by making their quota, maybe not necessarily right. you know as um, relational-based as, as you'd like, much more transactional in general. Right. Speak, yeah, I mean that. That's speaking I, for you I, necessarily. Yeah, no, I, I, I think sales. salespeople typically just self-describe themselves as yeah. coin-operated. Yeah. Um, I think that our guys have done a great job of building relationships and rapport with our customers. Yeah. I mean, I think as an emerging organization, it's important because that feedback is is invaluable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's always good to give them somebody else to talk to. Um, so, similar topic. What is the SecOps Hub? SecOps Hub. So SecOps Hub is our uh, our community, right? It's it's in a basically a non-vendor specific uh, place for security ops and incident response folks to go and share ideas. So, um, you know, one of the things that we get a lot from customers, they would always ask us, you know, if I have a question on, you know, how to do uh, memory analysis or how to query recursively through Active Directory, um, there was no good single source for them. So we thought that we would try to build that community. So, you know, obviously for us, a lot of the conversations to do drive towards automation, but uh, it's not a swim lane centric uh, concept. Uh, the idea here is that we have a place where people can come and ask questions about their career, questions about solving particular problems with their environment. Um, but obviously we have com- spots on there for our customers to, you know, to talk about use cases and share that content as well. So between our App Hub, which is our, you know, our marketplace and SecOps Hub, you know, we have customers contributing content, sharing content, sharing ideas. And, you know, there's we, we talk a lot internally about how the the the, the scenario is kind of asymmetric. You have many adversaries versus a single organization. There's threat intelligence is slowly breaking down this gap, but the ability to kind of do a course of action, take actually remediation response uh, to that is, is an opportunity to continue to collaborate so that it's kind of a many versus many. Mm. I think it'll take us some time to, to get that sharing to happen, but that's really what we're trying to achieve by you know, sharing content and having that shared community. Is, is it a forum? Is, is it a wiki? I'm, I'm trying to figure out what SecOps Hub actually is. <laughs> yeah, it is a forum for the most okay. part. Um, it is connected to our marketplace. So if you want to share you know, content that you've created, you can share that across those, okay. those two components. And we continue, we'll continue to expand the, the kind of cohesiveness of those two platforms together so they kind of interrelate with each other. So. And this is, this is created in the last year or so, isn't it? I don't, yeah, I don't that's, think it was there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fairly there. recent. I think we launched, we, actually, I know we launched SecOps Hub at RSA this year, which was oh, okay. later in the year. It's so April, yeah. Yeah, April as opposed to typically so February. Newish. Newish, yeah. yeah. So, and then we, uh, again, launched uh, the Marketplace similar timeline. So, yeah. yeah. So you're at about 60 people now. Um, you mentioned DevOps, what, you, the DevOps roles that you've been hiring folks, but you guys are not a SaaS um, organization, right? Yeah. So when, you, when you're talking about DevOps, what does that mean for you? Yeah, so I mean, Swimlane is deployable software, physical, yeah. virtual, cloud, doesn't matter. Um, so our DevOps team really supports our engineering team and the organization in general, right? So anything from being the administrator for you know our mail infrastructure uh, to you know managing Jenkins and all the builds and the the security assessments we do of the code builds and things like that, they manage that entire infrastructure. Yeah. So all the QA environments stand up and 
obviously we do a lot of integration work, so we have a lot of our partner technology running in our environment so that we can maintain those integrations and, and, and they do that. So, um, you know, for a smaller organization, there's, there's a, we, we have a, you know, equally sized DevOps team that does a great job and um, they're, they definitely got their hands full, but there's sure. a lot going on there. And, and do you guys yet have a security leader? So we have been working uh, with the DevOps team. So the DevOps okay. team has been kind of embracing the security uh, for both, and I'll use air quotes for our corporate environment because corporate environment is, you know, we have workstations and everything else is in the cloud. Sure. Um, and then, you know, but they, they've really taken the lead on that. Um, you know, we haven't hired a dedicated uh, security infrastructure person at this point. Uh, thankfully for us, you know, security is in our DNA. Almost every hire that we have is come from some security realm or another. So we have a lot of domain expertise internally yeah. uh, and a lot of opinions that go along with that that, yeah. uh, that that we've able to kind of incorporate into how we manage our own security internally. Yeah. So, All right, well, let's, let's turn our focus to what's coming. So, you know, let's we get together next year and, you know, call it next summer, next fall. Um, where, where is Swimlane gone in the, in the preceding 12 months? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there will be a lot more international exposure for us. I think, you know, we have a lot of prospects that are running, you know, in the Middle East and India and Japan and, and places along those lines. So I think, you know, for us, the customer base will be much larger. Um, you know, we're, we're really focused on this. We think that there's, there's a lot of uh, problems to solve within the incident response and security ops space. So I, I'll, you'll see a lot more visualization uh, coming from what we do, enabling analysts to get to decisions without just text and numeric data, but actually having visualizations, um, really expanding on that community component, you know, really helping folks and encouraging folks to, to share content. Um, and you know, obviously there, there's opportunities here for, for learning and other you know, concepts. I, I avoid throwing out the buzzwords that go along with that. But yeah. if you think about what we're doing around alarm classification and how you do that without doing it kind of you know, more of a fuzzy match versus a kind of a binary or a regex style, and then mapping that to remediations. So you have uh, recommendation engines and things along those lines, which mm. you know fall into the, some of those categories that people like to talk about when they talk about security products. <laughs> You're trying to avoid uh, saying machine learning. Just like you don't like AI. to say uh, blockchain. I will, are you going to are you uh, going to put it on the blockchain? I am not putting it on the blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> Though the state of Colorado is going on blockchain for some reason, which whole, I think you guys touched on. So yeah, the whole state. Um, <laughs> So you know, big, big change is trying to get smarter. I mean, I, I like I actually like to summarize the ML AI as being intelligent, right? Like being smarter with how we do everything, being more aware of what's going on. The system should be smart. Right. Should, shouldn't be dumb. That hey, I had to I had to code if X then then Y. Right. It should be able to figure out if one of these interesting hap things happens, we'll do one of these interesting right. you know, reactions to it. I agree, and I think the thing that makes that interesting is that you know you can do that within your own organization, and that's great, and you probably can find some value there. But as you look across multiple organizations, yeah. multiple verticals, you know you start to get a better baseline for what is and what should be, and that that learning, that intelligence, that smarter is I think a lot more valuable than it is within kind of really closed silos. But that, I mean, that's a hard thing to do when you're installed software, right? It is. Um, and, and you're not, I assume you're not getting any logs from your, from your customers and how do you, how do you take learnings from one enterprise and help another if, if you're not getting that? Right, knowledge? so I mean, we're definitely talking to customers about, you know, we already have customers that share. Um, so we're talking about how we take that information and collectively uh, provide that back to them. Obviously, not every customer is willing to share. Um, really look at partnerships as a good mechanism to do that. Mm -hmm. So we have MSSPs that run, you know, Swimlane, and they obviously have access to a broad set of customers they're supporting. 
So in those cases, there is data that's available that's shared uh, that you know you can start building some of that uh, learning on top of uh, that is that is tangible and, and valuable. Yeah, and do you see customers willing to to help contribute to that kind of network effect? Have you had any conversations with your customers yes. to try and push them in that direction? Yeah, it's interesting, right? So definitely around content, there's a willingness to share, right? I mean, historically- content, we're talking like the apps you create and the rules, the, the automation, right? Because yep. there's no data there. It's just right. automation. It's automation. Yeah. It's, it's basically, if I see you know this type of uh, alarm, what, what are we doing, right? right? And that's really an interesting conversation where you have two people that are doing, let's go back to phishing, that phishing use case, and one of them you know, is doing a whole series of checks that the other one's not and vice versa. Uh, you know, collectively, that use case is much more powerful when you combine those two things together. Yeah. Maybe my internal investigation, you know, process is much more sophisticated than my peer. But inversely, they've figured out how to tap into all the open source threat intelligence capabilities that are out there at no cost. If I combine those two things together collaboratively, that use case is significantly better than any one of them were individually. Yeah. And because it's not threat detection or prevention technology, it's not which IPS signatures I'm running, which firewall I have, which endpoint I'm running, people are a little bit more willing to share because they don't feel like you know, they're, they're kind of exposing what's going on inside of their environment because someone not trying to circumvent XYZ technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, now, talking about the, you know, obviously the future of your company, the future of where you want to go, do you see any bigger trends in security that's going to that's gonna change the landscape of where you're trying to do business? Any, anything else going on bigger meta outside of Swimlane? Yeah, I mean, we, we talk a lot about how DevOps is eating security ops. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously the, the transition to the cloud is well underway. Um, you know, we, we just talked about, you know, two organizations that, you know, have basically been there in their entire existence. Um, yeah, I, I think that's one of the biggest things is just people, the way that we've deployed security configurations and controls historically has been, you know, through robust change management and, and things along those lines, which all make sense. Uh, but as the way that we're servicing our customers or providing services uh, changes and the, the speed at which it changes and the delivery of that and needs to be able to support that. And I think, you know, for us, that's one of the trends that we see is that, you know, without automation, you know, it sounds like a plug, but if you can't plug yourself into their, their automated DevOps process for how they're delivering services, you're really going to be left out in the cold. So that, that kind of macro trend is really interesting is people figuring out how they can inject themselves into that process yeah. so they don't, so all of the stuff that they've done to kind of build security around their, you know, for lack of a better term, legacy infrastructure is incorporated into their new infrastructure. Have you given any thought to, to you guys, you know, getting in the cloud, doing your own SaaS for this offering? Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that, you know, we've always considered as we've yeah. built the product. I mean, as you think of the investments you make as an organization, you know, having a SaaS product that stores really sensitive data. In our case, we're, we call it the dirty laundry of security. Mm -hmm. This is when the bad things happen, it, it comes into a product like Swimlane. Um, the security requirements for that, um, as far as compliance and audit and things like that, are, are fairly extensive uh, sure. and fairly expensive. I'm sure you're, you're familiar with all the, the well audits that, that go along with that. So, you know, we're trying to decide, you know, when it makes best sense for us. Um, yeah. um, like I said, the product itself is ready to go. Um, it's all the auxiliary things that go around that, yeah. that you have to really be honest with yourself about and ensure that you've invested in the people and time and resources and third-party auditors and there, there's a lot of preparedness that goes into that and to kind of jump into that and pretend like that's just going to magically happen would be doing your customers a disservice so uh, we're trying to be very thoughtful in how we we move in that direction yeah that makes sense 
so what else? What else do you want to talk about with swim lane or, or where where you're going? Um, you know, for us, I mean, we we talk a lot about how organizations are deploying uh, DevOps kind of concepts and you know also skill sets into their teams, yeah. right? Uh, it's one of the trends that we've seen is you know injecting you know, uh, people with software development skills into their socks, which uh, we, we see a lot and we think is really uh, a powerful thing to do, regardless if you're using an automation platform or not. So, yeah. I mean, I think that that's one of the trends that we've seen that, you know, you talk a lot about in the podcast about becoming an expert on whatever piece of technology it is and with that, learning how to secure it. Yeah. Uh, for us, you know, one of the things we want to make sure is, you know, it, it's, it seems to be easier to teach Developer security than security uh, than yeah. securities how to develop security practitioners how to develop. So I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it is the skill sets of knowing development, knowing whatever it is you're trying to secure is much more important than knowing security. We can yeah. teach security, right? We yeah. can teach that mindset, but it's really hard to go teach someone how to how to pick up a computer and start coding. Yep, I think the other thing is you know you know, talking a lot about how you can collaborate with your peers. Hmm. I mean, I think it's something that we do behind the scenes, even, you know, competitive banks and competitive retailers. Uh, if you talk to their security teams, they actually generally get along pretty well. Um, but, you know, how do we kind of continue to extend that, right? I mean, threat intelligence sharing is an example of that, but how is it that we start working collaboratively to make everybody better? Because it's kind of a, raising ties, raise all right. ships type of scenario. Yeah. And, you know, that's not always easy. And it, you know, sometimes you become very focused within your organization. But I think there is an opportunity here for collaboration that is kind of greater than the sum of any individual organization that we, we I don't know, I, I guess challenge folks to continue to think about because I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity lost there right now that it'd be great to tap into. Yeah. And, and it, it makes sense. It is, you know, to your point that the, the security teams for competing banks they get along great, but they, they don't necessarily have easy ways to share information. Uh, you know, there's there's some threat feeds and, you know, FSI SAC, and there's some organizations that you can get some stuff, right. but it's a pretty small subset of everything. Right. right. And how do we get better at sharing the stuff that really matters? Right. Uh, I don't I don't know that there's an easy solution, but I think it's a, a worthwhile pursuit, right? Yeah, there's definitely not a silver bullet there, but I think it's something that, you know, I think people want to do, and I yeah. think think will help. But you know, and you see, you know, you see the industry or the standards bodies trying to build things like OpenC2, which is really around automation and how to standardize that automation communication. Yeah. Obviously, we have Stix Taxi, you know, and the, and the different you know standards bodies like Oasis and things like that that are working on that. Um, you know, sometimes innovation will outpace standards bodies, and that's usually a good thing. Yeah. Um, but there's there's definitely I think an appetite to do it. But you know, uh, you're dealing with people who want to do good and you're also dealing with the fact that, you know, there's software vendors that are out there to, you know, generate revenues and, and build organizations and those two things don't always come together. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I think we're getting better, but I think there's always room for improvement. So So I was just poking around on your LinkedIn profile and, and you've got you know, your headline isn't CEO of Swimlane, it's hiring and you list a bunch of things <laughs> you're, you're looking to hire. Uh, tell me what it is you're, you're looking to hire right now. Uh, so we're hiring uh, sales development reps, uh, sales development rep manager. Uh, yeah. We're hiring for a, I guess what I would call a security research engineer, which is a, for us a really exciting role. Basically, if you want to help us build the content and manage mm. the content we're creating, as well as be the forward face of Swimline on our community, as well as you know things like B-sides. That's like a fun one. It is. I, I think it's a really fun role. Uh, it's, yeah. it's not an easy role. I mean, you're, you're a one-person army, for lack of a better term, in that role. Yeah. But it's one of those things where you get a contribute back into engineering, you get to have a forward-facing presence, you get to work on open source projects. There's a whole kind of uh, gamut of things that you can work on there, yeah. which is a lot of fun. 
you know, always hiring for sales engineering. I mean, that's, that's always a, a hard role to fill. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, we're always looking for good people. We tend to find good people in makeup roles yeah. uh, where it makes sense to, to bring those folks in. And so. what makes someone a good person? What, why would you want to hire somebody? <laughs> Quite frankly, it's, it's a startup, right? So you have to really, really want to be there. Mm. I mean, that that's the thing is, you know, early stage product companies are fairly unique and I learned this the hard way. Um, I historically had worked at places like IBM inside the federal government. Um, working in an emerging technology company is a whole different animal. Uh, expectations are different and the people that thrive there, they, they have different expectations and it's yeah. fun and it's in a good way. Um, you can't hide. Everything you do is public, you know, internally public, yeah. and you have a, a huge opportunity to make an impact. And uh, I think that's uh, something that, you know, I was really looking for myself was, you know, you could do the, the best work in the world, but inside of a 100,000 person organization, it doesn't really register. Right. You do great work in, a, in an organization of sub 100 people. I mean, you, you, you become, you know, you become a hero and, and, and for lack of a better term, and, and people really appreciate that because it yeah. has an impact on their day to day. If it's helping a salesperson get a deal closed or getting a new feature out the door or making a customer happy, and it, it, it's, it's one of those things that you, you can feel and you can see, and it's not some kind of net effect that rolls up into a, you know, an SEC yeah. filing. That's awesome. So, yeah. Uh, well, I, that's, we're close to the end of our time. I'll give you a chance. Anything else you want to say before we, before we call it? No, I mean, uh, always hiring, always looking for people, yeah. uh, always looking for people to contribute to our community, secopshub.com. Um, you know, please come take a look and, you know, always, always looking to have more conversations like these. This is awesome. a lot of well, fun. So. Well, I appreciate your support on, for the show and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again next year. Sounds and good. Things have changed. All right, thanks, it, Cody. Thanks a lot. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.